Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 20. If you are here for the first time and you're wondering what are we doing here, this is the Read and Rant. We have people from all over the world. We, if you notice all the shout outs, we have people from South Africa right now, from England, from Nigeria, from Australia, from Antigua. Look at that. That's amazing. We got people from um, Atlanta, Jamaica. We have people from all around the world, all around the country, Arizona, Ghana. Look at that. Boynton Beach, North Idaho, um, Northwest England, um, South Africa, Grenada, right? Um, Alabama. We can go on for days here, guys. But we have people from all around the world who are coming together to read the word of God. And that's what we commit to um, every morning. And that's what we're going to do now is we're going to commit to that. And what we're doing is we're just journeying through the entire Bible. Uh, for 20 to 30 minutes a day. And so we read for about 20 to 30 minutes a day. And then I rant for another uh, 20 to 30 minutes. I'm <laughs> um, just reflecting on what the Lord is saying. We're going to pray three things. Uh, we're going to pray into three things as we read the word today. Uh, the three things that we're going to pray into is first, what is the Lord revealing concerning himself? What is the Lord revealing concerning himself? What is God revealing concerning himself? The second question that we're going to uh, confront as we spend time in meditating on the scriptures is what is God revealing concerning people? God, what are you revealing today to me concerning people? Uh, and the third question that I'm asking and that I want you to ask as well is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? What are you revealing concerning me? I want you to pray that for yourself as I pray that for myself. And so that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to commit our time to. I have nothing prepared. I'm just simply reading. Um, that's why I call it a rant. I do not want to call it a study because I feel like a study should be more prepared. <laughs> uh, this is not a study and it's not a devotion. I feel like devotions should be more prepared as well. This is a reading and reflection, read and rant. And so that's what we're here to do. Um, I want to also thank those yesterday. I just noticed afterwards all the, the badges and the gifts that I got from you guys on IG. I just can't thank you enough. I, I'm truly grateful and it allows me to commit more time to this. So I'm so grateful for that and so grateful for the gifts. You guys have sent me incredible, just your incredible generosity has allowed me to continue uh, to commit to this. So it's amazing that you guys are doing that. So let's go ahead and um, let's get started. Let's get, let's get to it. Let's get to it. Father, we ask that you would be with us today, Lord, as we engage in your word. Father, we pray that you would bless us today. Lord, bless us in the reading of this word. Lord, lead us, Lord God, guide us, speak to us. Um, Lord, don't, don't allow, Lord, our uh, worldly wisdom, Lord, to influence what we read. But Father, influence us with the truth of your spirit and the truth of your word. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen and amen. And so uh, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 20. And I will read verse one. And it says this, then David fled to Naoth in Ramah. And he said to Jonathan, what have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So Jonathan, Jonathan said to him, by no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. Why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. And David took an oath again and said, your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is a step between me and death. 
So Jonathan said to David, whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. Mm. So Jonathan and sorry. And David said to Jonathan, indeed, tomorrow is the new moon. I shall not fail to sit with the king to eat, but let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there's a yearly sacrifice there for the family. If he thus says it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore, you shall deal kindly with your servant. For you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself. For why should you bring me to your father? But Jonathan said, far be it from you. For if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then I would not tell you. Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me? Or what if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out onto the field. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And the Lord be with you that he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now, Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. And when you have stayed there, stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you, where you hid on the day of deed and remain by the stone of Esau. Then I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And there I will send a lad saying, go find the arrows. If you expressly, if I expressly say to the lad, look, the arrows are on the side of you, get them and come. Then as the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you. Go your way for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter, which you and I have spoken of, indeed, the Lord be between you and me forever. Then David hid in the field. When the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. Now the king sat on his seat as at other times on the seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is unclean. Surely he is unclean. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to eat, either yesterday or today? So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission to go to Bethlehem. 
And he said, please let me go for our family has a sacrifice in the city. And my brother has commanded me to be there. Hmm. I'll read that again. So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission for me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go for our family has a sacrifice in the city. And my brother has commanded me to be there. Now, if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? Ah, for as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now, therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul, his brother, and said to him, why should he be killed? What has he done? And Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his family had treated him shamefully. And so it was in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David, and a little lad was with him, and he said to his lad, now run, find the arrows which I shoot. As the lad ran and he shot the arrow beyond him, that the lad had come to a place where the arrow was, um, was which Jonathan had shot. Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, it is not the arrow beyond, is not the arrow beyond you? And John cried out after the lad, make haste, hurry, do not delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to his master. But the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said to him, go carry them to the city. As soon as the lad had gone, David arose from the place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, bowed down there, bow, sorry, bowed down three times and they kissed one another and they wept together, but David more so. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord saying, may the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, why are you alone? and no one is with you. So David said to Ahimelech, the priest, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, do not let anyone know anything about the business which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now, therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, there is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Then David answered the priest and said to him, truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out and the vessels of the young men are holy and the bread is in effect common. Even so, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread for there was no bread there, but the show bread that had been taken from before the Lord. 
in order to put the hot bread in its place on the day that it was taken away. Now a certain man of Saul's was there that day and detained before the Lord, and the name was Doeg, an Edomite, a chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here a hand, a spear, or sword? Uh, on hand, a spear or sword. For I have brought neither sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business requires haste. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you take it, if you take that, take it. For there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Hmm. There is none like it. Give it to me. David flees to Gath. Then David arose and he fled to the day before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hand, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down to his beard. And Achish said to his servants, Look, you see, the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? (laughs) Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my presence? House. Chapter 22. Therefore, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there are about 400 men with him. Then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. So he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now the prophet of Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went to the forest of Harath. Saul, when he heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered, now Saul was staying in Gebeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah with his spear in hand and all his servants standing about him. Then Saul said to the servants who stood about him, Here now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? All of you have conspired against me, and there's no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse, and there is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. And he answered to Doag the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, gave provisions, and gave the sword of Goliath to the Philistine. So David 
Sorry. So the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all of his father's house, and the priests who were in Nob, and they all came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitub. He answered, Here I am, my lord. Then Saul said to him, Have you conspired against me, you, the son of Jesse, in that you have him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me, to lie in wait as it is this day? So Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law, who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him, far be it from me? Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the father in the house of my father, for your servant knew nothing of this, little or much. And the king said, you shall surely die, Himelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guards who stood near him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand is also with David. And because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. And the king said to Doeg, You turn and kill the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priests and killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod. Also Nob, the city of the priests, he struck with the edge of the sword both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. Now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Etub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. So Saul said to Abiathar, I knew that day that Doeg the Enamite was there, that he would surely tell Saul. I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. But with me, you shall be safe. Chapter 23, verse 1. Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Kila, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Kila. But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Kiela against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise and go down to Kiela, for I will deliver the Philistines in your hand. And David said, And David and his men went to Kiela and fought the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Kiela. Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David Achilla, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone to Kiela. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Kiela and to besiege David and his men. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has 
certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Kela to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Kela deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men in the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. Then he told Saul, then it was told Saul that David had escaped Keilah. So he halted the expedition. And David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains of the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day but God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in the forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be with, I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two men made a covenant before the Lord and David stayed in the woods and Jonathan went to his own house. And the Ziphites came to Saul at Gebeah saying, is David not hiding with us in the strongholds in the woods and the hills of Hekala, which is the, which is the south of Jeshimon? Now, therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is. And he, sorry, and who has seen him there? For I am told he is very crafty. See therefore and take knowledge of the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you and it shall be if he is in the land, that I will search him throughout all the clans of Judah. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plain on the south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David. Therefore, he went down to the rock, stayed in the wilderness of Maon, and Saul heard that he had pursued. Uh, sorry, and Saul heard that, and he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Then Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. But a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. So they called that place the rock of escape. Then David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds of En Gedi. En Gedi. Speak to us in this time, Lord. Speak to us today. Amen. Ah, uh, this is why we're here, family. Uh, we're here to spend time in the reading of Scripture. And I don't know if this is a new experience for some of you, and it's good to see all of you. I've got over 200 of you on TikTok, and I have about 70 
five of you on IG and I've got my Facebook family here as well. So we're all here in simultaneity from all around the world to spend time in the reading of scripture. And what I hope is happening as you spend time in the scripture, what I'm hoping is happening is, is I'm hoping you are beginning to see the narrative, the biblical narrative of God, the story of God, what God is doing in humanity, what he's accomplishing in the life of mankind. What I'm hoping is happening as you spend time in the reading of the word is, is I'm hoping that you're now beginning to see that the Bible was about much more than those little snippets that people have given to you. What I'm hoping is happening is that you may have, this may be your first time ever really reading through the the entire book itself, reading through the entire scripture or reading through the entire text. So that's that's what I hope is happening. And for some of you, what I believe is happening, because many of you have already told me that, is that from just reading with me from the book of Genesis all the way to this point, because we read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and now we're in First Samuel, what I believe now is happening is now you're beginning to see how this book is threaded, how this book is 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 written, and how there's a story and the backbone of that story is a story. So it is many stories, but in that many stories, there is a story. The Bible is actually a story. It's not a book of laws. It's not a book of rules. It's a story. It's a story of what God has done, is doing, and will do, and continue to do. It's a story. And when you read it from a biblical narrative point of view, then you really get the grand picture of what God is doing. And when you now understand his story, then you're going to understand where things fit in. Because when you understand that it's a story, then you can understand why it is permissible that some of the dark things in the scripture can be talked about in the scripture because the scripture wasn't a book of rules, but rather a story. When you see the Ten Commandments, now you understand that it wasn't simply rules that Christians ought to follow for instruction on how to live, but rather it is a story that speaks about a particular thing for a particular reason. God is calling the children of Israel to bring righteousness and justice to the earth. God made a promise to Abraham and said to Abraham, it was it is through his seed. Thank you so much for the gifts. Thank you so much for the badges. I am so humbled and honored by that. Thank you so much. It really encourages me. Um, by so so now we we see Abraham who received a promise that he would father many nations. That it is through his family that righteousness and justice would be restored on earth. So God now put a promise on Abraham, and God's going to fulfill that promise. Promise is always a side note. Promise is always fulfilled through covenant. Let me repeat that one more time. A promise is always fulfilled through covenant. Um, even, even, even today, we understand that principle that promises are fulfilled through covenant. We understand that principle, right? Because someone can give you a promise, but the promise is guaranteed by the contract. I can take, I can borrow money from the bank, right? And if I borrow money from the bank, I can, I can say, hey, in good faith, I'm going to pay the bank back. But I know now the bank can have at least a certain level of assurance about the promise being fulfilled through the fact that there's a contract that you sign when you 
took the loan or when you took the mortgage. Um, when a promise is made, often a contract is signed because a promise is fulfilled by the contract. And so when we, and so this is the perspective that we should now have that God put a promise on Abraham and now God is sealing the promise with a contract and he's doing it through the children of Israel. Notice that the contract in the covenant that was written to the children of Israel was written specifically particularly uh, in particularity to the children of Israel. It was not written in specificity to Christians. It was not written to us. It was written to the children of Israel for the redemption of all humanity, for all mankind. When you understand that, then you understand that God is doing something through the promise. And that thing he's doing through the promise is threaded by covenant. That's why we see even the wars that are going on right now, the battle of the Philistines, the Canaanites, understand that these were all children and in many instances, all children of Abraham. The Canaanites were also children of Abraham. They came from Ishmael um, and, and some came from Esau, who were the two sons of Isaac. And so these are all cousins. They're all related. They have blood re relation, but they do not have the covenantal promise. God chose these people to fulfill his promise. And in choosing to fulfill his promise, he's going to instigate his will through these people. And yet these people, even with the contract, continue to fail. And God then superimposes in the contract, the atonement, what we learned in Leviticus, to give them access back to God in payment for their grievances, in payment for their sins, in payment for their breaking of the contract that they made towards him. That was the whole purpose of the atonement. The law of the atonement was to give them access back to the presence of God, to have continual covenant with God, even when when they're sinful, broken people. You see, here's the thing, family, and this is this is important. This is critical for you to understand is that the covenant is chosen by God. God chooses who he covenants with. This is the part that people get uncomfortable with. And yet this is the reality that we're confronted with is that God chooses who he covenants with. And now he's covenanting. He's covenanting with these children, setting them aside. And through the covenanting with these children, he's compelling them to live a life that is different. He says, be holy for I'm holy. Notice holiness is not perfection. <clears throat> no, no. Holiness is separation. Holiness is distinctness. And so he's calling them to be holy. Sometimes we make holiness what we wear, what we dress, how we talk. These things are not what make you holy. You can talk and not be holy. You can dress well and not be holy. You can wear a skirt all the way down to your feet and still not be holy. Don't ever think that holiness is how you look on the outside. Holiness is actually a status that we have of being distinct from everything else. So now he says to them, be holy for I'm holy. And now they're to cultivate that holiness through the practicing of the sacrificial law. I'm giving you all this stuff because I'm getting to my, I'm going to get to my point. I'm going to get to my point. I'm, I'm, I'm only telling you all of this for a particular reason. It's because I want you to understand that God through the covenant, remember, it's not enough for it to be DNA. It was DNA and covenant. And over time it becomes less DNA and it becomes more covenant. Rahab did not have Hebrew DNA. And yet Rahab, a woman of color, got to partake in the grace. We see now this thread, this thread. 
this thread where now other nations are coming into this family and other nations are actually coming into this family because of covenant. And yet when the children of Israel get to the promised land, they failed. And we see in the book of Judges how they profoundly failed in being this holy nation that was called and set aside to show what the kingdom of God was like. And yet God still had a promise that even in their failure, the book of Ruth tells us, gives us a story of how while all this is happening, God's taking someone back from back from Moab to Israel. to mother a king. And this king would be David. David was chosen from the gate. Hmm. David was part of the story. David was had already covenanted with God. Before David was born, David was already chosen. Before David was born, God had already chosen to execute his righteousness and justice through David. This was not about David being a hero. This was about David having the grace of God and being chosen. If there's anything that you're going to learn when we finally get to David is David is no hero. David's a pretty crappy person when you think about it. David did some really crappy things and yet David, the scriptures say, was a man after God's own heart. God chose him. And the reason why I'm bringing this up, because before the foundations of the world, God chose David. Before he formed him in his mother's womb, he already knew him and he chose him. And Ruth ends, the whole purpose of the book of Ruth was to tell us that there was a king that was coming. And David was a foreshadow of that. We know that because in the Gospels, we see David as part of the lineage, but it wasn't about David. It didn't finish with David. It didn't end with David. It ended with Jesus Christ. Notice that the lineage ended with Jesus. Ah, but David became part of that story. This was the covenant, the rope that, that brings all of this to fruition, that brings all this together, that the reconciliation of all mankind comes through the seed of Abraham, the lion of Judah, the son of David, son of man, Jesus Christ, and it ends there. Why am I saying all of this? Why does all of this matter? All of this matters, family. Because you should always have assurance when you know that you are chosen by God. You should have, you should always have assurance in this life. I don't have a lot of time, family, so I'm just breaking down what the Lord is convicting me of as I'm reading this word. You should have the assurance that even through all the waves of your life, wherever it's going, you may, it may be going south. It may be going left. It may be going front. It may be going back. It may seem dark right now. Things may not seem the way that they should, and things may not be going that the way that they should, and everything seems upside down. But if there's one thing that stays firm, it's the promise of God. It's the promise of God. God. 
God was restoring all of mankind through his people. And yet God set David aside to do it. We read this text. And there was, there's so much here, y'all. I, I can I could spend hours through what we just read. But if you ask me what's the one thing I'm taking away from this is, I'm seeing a story now that David's rise is contemporaneous with his suffering. David's meteoric rise to kingship is coinciding with profound pain. David is rising in pain. David loves his father-in-law and now he's being rejected by his father-in-law and his father-in-law wants to kill him. His brother-in-law, who's his best friend, Jonathan, they have to be separated from one another. That's what we just read. They were separated from one another. This, this is a guy who he, he considered, he, who he loved like his own soul. Jonathan loved him. He loved Jonathan. These guys loved each other. They loved each other. And yet he lost his best friend because of his father-in-law, David has been rejected. David had to run away from his house. We read not too long ago that his wife, you know, his ride or die, his hitter, he, she had to, she had to throw him out the window and fake that he was sleeping in bed. He now can't even talk to his wife. He's disconnected from his wife, disconnected from his best friend, his brother, disconnected from his family, disconnected from everything. Why? Because he simply stood up for his faith and he stood up for God and because he was favored by the Lord. You know, it's funny how we turn favor into good feelings. When often, we you know, we say something like favor ain't fair. That's exactly right. Favor ain't fair. Let me say that one more time. I might call this episode favor ain't fair. That's exactly right. Favor ain't fair. Favor ain't fair. You can, um, you can go to my, um, Hey, Purities, you can also, thank you so much for the gift. Um, you can also go to um, uh, my link in the bio and there's there's a place there that you can support as well. Um, but I want to say this, when we say favor and fair, I know, you know, that's that's the part where us folk like to start jumping around and say, oh my gosh, favor and fair, favor and fair. And we dance it out. Oh my gosh, favor and fair. God favors me. No, that's not what I mean. That That's true too. Not to say that's not true. But favor, when we say that favor ain't fair, what I'm saying is that often with favor comes things that happen in your life that are just not fair. With favor, there are things that happen in your life where you go and you go, this isn't fair. I shouldn't have to go through that. I was serving the Lord. I've been faithful to Saul. I've been faithful to my king. I've done nothing wrong but I have favor. And because I have favor, my favor comes with pain. I think we always talk about the beauty that comes out of favor, but we never talk about the pain that comes out of favor. Favor will make you lose friends. You'll lose family members because of favor. You'll lose people who were close to you because of favor. 
You'll lose money because of favor. David is separated from his wife, from his family, from his from his home, from from his position, from his title. David is in hiding because he has favor. And just reflecting on what I'm reading here, I think we miss it. We miss it. We miss it. Saul has lost his mind. Saul has gone to complete hysteria. Saul, if at this point, guys, I hope you guys notice Saul has lost it. All Saul cares about at this point is we got to get rid of David. That's all that's on his mind. And he's killing people who are associated with him. Are you catching? He he's he he's killing priests, families. Did you just read what we just read? Women and children, all because of David. We talk about favor, but we don't talk about the other side of it. We talk about getting called by God and being called to be used by God and for God to be glorified, not realizing there's pain in it as well. David loved Saul. Saul was like Saul was like a father to him. Saul was more of a father to David than David was. Saul was more of a father to David, sorry, than um than Jesse was. Jesse didn't even see much from David. And yet Saul saw something in David that David didn't see in himself. David is broken. Because now he's getting rejected by a second father figure. His first father figure saw nothing of him. And now his second father figure has rejected him and wants him dead. This is what comes with favor. Which is why I say that if you are seeking after favor and you want favor from the Lord, be ready for the cost that comes with it. When it comes to this life in Christ and the glory of God, be ready for the cost. You need to count the cost. And I think for many Christians, we want simply the blessing of God, not knowing that there's another side to it. That the blessing of God comes with pain. Yes, favor ain't fair. It's not fair. And there's some people right now who are going through it in their life. They're going through some difficult seasons and some difficult moments. You're wondering, God, why am I going through this? For some of you, maybe bad decisions, but there's some people that the reason why you're going through this is because your promotion will come with pain. Let me say that one more time. Your promotion will come with 
pain. God taking to you to where he's calling you to go. It will come with pain. If you're not if you're not ready for the pain that it comes with, if you're not ready to lose some people, if you're not ready to lose some friends, if you're not ready to lose your job, if you're not ready to lose, you cannot fulfill the calling of God without acknowledging and counting the cost because for some people, it may even cost them their life. David's most painful season is also David's season of moving into kingship. David is being kinged through pain. And for a man who has been honorable, for this man who, who did all that he's done and all that he's accomplished for Israel, for this man who's the man after God's own heart, he shouldn't be living in the wilderness and living in caves and going from place to place. You see that one part in the story where he, he gets there and then he starts acting like he was crazy. He had to literally pretend to be crazy. Scratching the walls and drooling on himself simply to protect himself and to keep himself from dying. We just read all of this. We don't re we don't remember that part. David's homeless. He's homeless. He's without family, without friends. He's got nothing because he's got favor. Ah. There's some people who are going through some really, really difficult seasons right now in their life. They can't get an answer for it. They're going, God, why am I going through this? And the reality is, is that there may never be an answer for some of the things that you go through. It's just that what coincides with God taking you to where he wants you to go, it comes with pain. And I know in the Christian life, people sold you on this idea that, that the Christian life is a pain-free life, that the Christian life is a life without suffering. Christian life is a life with, it's just a feel-good life. But if anything, the Bible warns us more about how painful the Christian life is. And yet how incredibly glorious it is. How much glory we can get in the pain. Thank you so much for the gifts. So what do you do? And I'm, I'm going to close with this, but. What do you do? You see, I'm encouraged throughout this whole story because we know how the story ends. David becomes king. If you don't know, well, there you go. Spoiler alert. David becomes king. Through Christ, he overcomes. Yes, he overcomes by the grace of God and by the power of God, he overcomes. He's going to spend a lot more time, though, in the wilderness. We're going to see a lot of that. And as I'm looking at the story, I can look at the story knowing what it looks like on the other side and go, man, David's going through it. But David had to go through it. He wouldn't be able to get to where he is because a shepherd boy does not become king without going through the kind of pain that he went through. 
So in the meantime, how does David protect himself? After that, I'm done, family. Because God is doing something through his redemptive story. So how does David survive the season? And this is my last word for you today. And I'm going to close it. And maybe I'll look at some of your comments. How does David survive this season? This is the thing that really popped out to me. He's in the wilderness. He gets to Nob. And he meets Ahimelech, the priest, who is there. And he gets to Nob, and Ahimelech, who is a priest, provides him bread, the show bread, the holy bread, uh, to eat because David's hungry and his men are hungry. They're down and out. Not only is David hungry, but David has no weapon to endure the wilderness. David's about to go out into the wilderness and he has nothing to protect himself. David needs to eat, but he needs to protect himself. How is he going to protect himself? As he goes into a wilderness facing impending danger, he asks Ahimelech for a weapon. And he's got no weapon. He's got nothing. And Himmler says, well, I do have one thing. And the one thing that Ahimelech has is in verse nine. So the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take it, take it. For there's no other except that one here. And David said, there's none like it. Give it to me. David has no weapon, no resource, nothing. And he's about to go into the wilderness. He's about to encounter incredible pain. And he's got nothing. And yet when he came before the priest, the priest said, all I have for you right now, because I got no other weapon that all I have for you is the remnant of your victory that got you here in the first place. All I have is the remnant of your testimony of how God worked mightily in you. All I have is a remnant of what you had gone through. All I have is the remnant of the last time you overcame. All I have is the remnant of when you had overcome. All I have is the, the last time when the Lord used you and filled you with his spirit and, and, and hit you, hit that rock, and that rock hit, hit that, that giant's head and that giant came down. All I have is the remnant of how you had defeated the enemy in a past season. And I came to encourage some people today 
today and to help them today in the season that they're in and they're wondering, how am I going to make it through and how am I going to overcome and what am I going to do in order to survive this next season in my life? And what God is saying to you is he's saying, I've given you something from the past that's going to give you what you need now to sustain you for where you're about to go. And there's some people right now that need to go back to their testimony. I need you to go back to the last time the Lord had shown himself victorious in your life. I need you to go to the last time that the Lord came to, into your life in a season when you could not have overcome and yet you overcame and you go back and you look and you say there's no way and I can tell you something right now there's something there then that will that you can use now to help protect you for what's about to come in your life and for those people right now who are discouraged you need to look back for those people right now who are discouraged you need to go back to when Goliath was slain you need to go back to when you had overcome something you need to go back to when because that's going to be your weapon that's going to be your sword because when the enemy comes before you and comes to question you and comes to challenge you and comes to come after you and say to you man you ain't nothing you're never you're not going to get through this you've been defeated you can go back and say no i've got goliath's sword i've got the sword of the giant that i slayed by the power of the holy spirit and the holy spirit can get me out of that then the holy spirit can get me out of this and that my friends is the assurance that we have we overcome by the blood of the land of the word of our testimony we ought to go back to our testimony david now is about to go into the wilderness but now he's keeping with him as a weapon the remnant of his past victory as we pray today some people have have been going through a lot not realizing the pain of this season is associated with the next steps that God is taking you to. And if you're asking how it is that you're going to survive and move into this next season in your life, how it is that you're going to step into the next place, how is it you're going to step into this next dimension, how are you going to step into the, you're going to need to go back and get Goliath's sword. Because that will be the weapon that sustains you for where you're about to go. So as you close your eyes and as we close in prayer, I want you to go back and reflect. Ah, reflect, reflect, reflect on that past victory. David came to the priest. The priest said, I have no weapon. Ahimelech told him, I have no weapon. That's what we just read. He said, I have no weapon in 1 Samuel 21 but I do have the sword of Goliath. And David said, give me that. Give me that sword. I will slay people with the remnant of what I used to slay the giant. For if the spirit of God got me out of that, the spirit of God will get me out of this. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Father, I ask right now for each and every individual, each and every person who's here, Lord, who's going through a season of pain and discouragement, or just, just going through it. There's some people who are just going through it. Father, I ask right now by the power of your spirit, Lord, that you would remind them, Lord, of their past victory.
or that you would give them the tools that they had acquired from their past victory, that they can go back to what they got from the past and that they can use it, wield it for your glory, for the victories that are to come. Father, I ask, oh, that you would be with each person to know, Lord, that they've been called by you. Lord, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed, that there is a glory to come, that you will be glorified in all of it. So, Father, I just pray that you would bless them in this season. Encourage us today. Lord, let us be reminded that favor ain't fair. It gives us benefits that we never qualified for, but it gives us also suffering that we may not initially have been ready for. So, Lord, give us the provision for this day to sustain and to survive. And we ask that in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen.